Welcome to episode 40 of the Sports on Point podcast. I am your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line, as always, by the phenom, Mr. Bob Williams. I want a pay increase. Wait, wait, no, I don't. I, don't, I, I, I want the status quo. And of course, the guy pressing the buttons, Mr. Pod Severns. I want a pay decrease. Never mind. That's just dumb. Hey guys, welcome. How's how's this week been uh, treating you? How's life treating you both? How's how's things? How's your it's, mom? It's been it's been a fantastic week. It's it's actually funny you asked about my mom because she had surgery yesterday. But uh, uh, aside from that, things are going good because you know the surgery went well and everyone's recovering as they should be. Well, that's good to hear. Good to hear that surgery went well. Yes, definitely good to hear. Also good to hear that we made it to our 40th episode, guys. This is uh, some cause for celebration, I think. I'm popping the champagne. Cool. I think so. We'll be, we'll be coming up on, uh, I, think the, I think the big episode for me will be 52, because that would indicate um, a year of episodes. That's pretty impressive. One full year of episodes means that uh, either we're crazy or we got something good going. I'm uh, for the latter. I think we got something good going. I enjoy doing the show with you guys every week. Hopefully, here's to another, well, I don't know how long. However long, it's still fun. So we got an awesome sh- <laughs> we got an awesome show this week. Um, kind of a unique show. Uh, I'm really excited to uh, hear what you guys have to say, and we're going to actually talk about the NFL lockout, sort of the NFL lockout for dummies. I know that with the thousands of articles out there and everything is being written about the, you know, potential NFL lockout and this, uh, you know, collective bargaining and, and negotiations and all the stuff that's going on. It is such a chore to try to wade through all that stuff. So what we're going to do this week is pretty special. We're going to take, uh, Mr. Robert Williams and Mr. Matt Smith, and we're going to place them on opposing sides. So uh, for you guys that don't understand the looming NFL lockout and some of the issues at hand, we're going to talk about the main things involved. So so first of all, the two parties involved are the NFL owners and the players union, uh, NFL Players Union, the NFLPA. So today, Bob's going to take the point of view of the NFL Players Union and kind of give some of the points that they're trying to make in these negotiations. And then Matt's going to take the position of the NFL owner. So we'll talk about four of the major topics that uh, are in negotiations. And this is something that's actually looming pretty big because the deadline for some sort of agreement to be reached is March 3rd. So um, let's start off with the first uh, of the topics that's on the table, um, which is money distribution you know it's always about money right so we'll start off with uh matt from the owner's position tell us uh what are the the main things that that the owners are trying to reach or the main points that they're trying to get across when talking about uh distributing money matt well before before we get too much into it i want to make i want to clarify a point um this this whole collective bargaining agreement 
uh, and, and the media coverage has really painted us to be the owners of the NFL. But I want to just make it clear that the the NFL in the 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 organization that is that is you know that is coming to the table in these negotiations not only represents the owners of the NFL. We operate the operating staff of all of the arenas that we're playing in. We oper- we we represent the NFL Network and all of its uh, employees. It's it's a lot more than just a bunch of rich fat cats. Who uh, who just want to pile onto their wallets? So uh, let's let's make that clear. It's the NFL versus the NFL Players Association. We're not talking about owners versus players. Now that being said, as as everyone knows, we're coming out of an agreement where the NFL players had 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 unprecedented amounts of money and and very high share of the general income of the NFL at, at uh, over 59% of the income. Um, I found it kind of interesting this week that, that uh, members of the NFLPA leaked information out to the news about potential for as many as 150,000 jobs being lost in the event that we do have a lockout and this NFL season doesn't happen. I want to point out for those of you who are familiar with that number and anybody who wants to do the math at home, the NFL Players Association accounts for roughly 1,700 players in the NFL, in addition to some of the players on the practice squads. And we're talking about 150,000 people losing their jobs. You have to know that the other people losing the jobs in that scenario are people who fall under the reign of the NFL. So when we're talking about a discrepancy between 1,700 players versus the balance, the remaining 133,000 employees that possibly could be losing jobs if there is a lockout, you have to understand that there's a significant difference between the amount of hands that are dipping into that 60% compared to the hands that are dipping into the 40%. And I just don't think from an operating status, it makes a whole lot of sense for us to continue to give a wealthy lion's share of the funds that are coming into the NFL to such a small percentage of the people that the NFL represents. All right. I get that. You know, you, you, you can't go wrong with, hey, there, there's a huge operating cost. There's definitely a lot of people that go into this whole idea of making an NFL game come to life on any given Sunday. You know, it's from the beer vendors to to the, the ticket holder or the ticket takers to the, the, the people waving the wands up in the parking lot. All those people need to get paid. And hey, look, you know, they might not be the most well paid but we have to take this back and look at it as an entertainment industry, which that is what the NFL is. As much as it is a sport, it's an entertainment industry. And as, as much as, yes, there's 130, 150,000 people that would lose a job if it wasn't for those 1,700 people playing and, and getting paid to play, that those 130 to 150,000 jobs wouldn't exist. You know... Honestly, from, from the uh, the players' point here, it, it's not that they're looking for any more money, which usually when we talk about anything uh, about collective bargaining, whether it be in, in the NFL or, or any other sport, we're talking about how the players want more money. The players are perfectly fine with keeping it the status quo, just like it was back in 2006 with Tagliabue and Upshaw. You know, we're, we're not asking for more money. We just want the status quo. So I, I, I don't know if you, you can go out and say that this, this is too much of, of a, a crazy thing to ask for is just to, to, to keep it where it's at. Even if 
the owners came at with a different proposal because they're talking about 18% less. 18%. You know, that would definitely be swinging things the other way. Wouldn't it make a little bit more sense if it dropped, if it was to drop? Because, you know, there's going to be some sort of compromise. At least make it 50-50, right? Well, I think I think when the when the amount of when the amount of liabilities being held by both sides is at a 50-50 split, then we can validly say that the amount of money should be a 50-50 split. Yeah, and and, and I, I we're we're going to see it where one side is going to have to compromise. And <laughs> if not, hey, look, there goes March 3rd. We're we're going to have the lockout which seems very inevitable. I I I don't think it's too far out of the realm of possibility that the NFL players aren't really asking for much. The only thing that we really hear that them talking about is possibly a little bit more of an insurance increase with, you know, after them playing eight to 12 years in, in the rough tolls that it, that it does take on their body to have some sort of better pension or, or better program for them to go into once they retire. So we've heard now from from both sides uh, our positions on money. Obviously, um, that the one hundred fifty thousand jobs versus the seventeen thousand jobs. But tell us, guys, is today's economy the same as it was in two thousand and six when the collective bargaining agreement was put into place? How have things changed, um, and how is your um, affiliation, whether it be the owners or the players association, you know, how have things changed since 2006 and what should be put into consideration when, when making these considerations about money? We'll go back to, uh, NFL owners. Well, I think, uh, I think you bring up a very good point, Bob. And, and I think it's, it'd be, it'd be avoiding a very obvious, obvious situation if we, if we went on with the assumption that we're in the same situation financially that we were in 2006, I think uh, I think the the folks in the NFLPA will be very quick to point out that the league has been uh, generating a higher level of income over the past several years than it ever has before in its history. Um, I think it's also important to note that the operating costs of running stadiums of running games and and you know even even paying training staff and all those types of individuals on a team's on a team's payroll is more expensive than it ever has been as well and to assume that just a simple dollar to dollar comparison between now and say for example 2006 and say okay there's a significantly higher dollar amount than there was from then it's also disregarding the fact that the value of the dollar has slid substantially since 2006 so i think the numbers in this situation is something that can quickly and easily deceive you if you're not paying close attention Yes, it is definitely something that you do have to pay attention to the numbers, but you also have to look at uh, two different things that, you know, unfortunately the players don't really have a say into, and and that's uh, the first one is going to be revenue sharing. Uh, You have a lot of these uh, top 15 uh, organizations who have put money into their system who, uh, you know, we'll we'll say Jerry Jones, for example, who built his billion-dollar stadium, who – doesn't make as much as some of these lower tier teams because they're they're trying to put something better out on the you know a better product better stadium better environment to keep attracting these fans and, and people into their stadiums. So with, with the revenue sharing with with that that 
yeah, they might be putting more money into it, but they're not making as much overhead as, say, someone like the Cincinnati Bengals who have a slower or a lower operating cost. So maybe there's some way they need to rework that to where some of these people who put more money into it might get something back, especially if, if they did build a new stadium. I know they also uh, you know, talk about how um, – the, the taxpayers themselves have put into a lot of money for this for these stadiums. Uh, I believe the Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, where eighty seven percent of the stadium costs was taxpayer, and then the rest was actually built in with the selling of the rights to name the stadium. So how much did the owner really pay out of his own pocket in in, in order to make the stadium happen, which is another thing. Uh, the, the other thing that I was actually going to bring up what was the stadiums in that. So it's, it's revenue sharing, and then also you have these huge stadiums going up that, that are costing not just the, the possible owners, but also the taxpayers too. So wh- where is the separation of uh, the, the NFL owners and how does that have to deal with me, the player? You know, I, I'm just out there playing. I, I think it's something that they need to sit down and talk and, and possibly try to find a way to help even out the, the, the cost to where, you know, if you are a, a, a Jerry Jones who's putting more money in there, that he's not going to be making less than possibly a Cincinnati team. Well, I think it's I think it's a fair point that you, I think it's a fair point that you bring up, but it's also important to note that uh, over the past couple of years, stadium projects across sports have had a harder and harder time gaining public funding for the projects that they're putting together. In fact, it's a big reason why um, a, a rather profitable team up in Minnesota could potentially be moving to another city because the the people of the city do not want to pay the money to put a new stadium up for the fans. And who who can blame them? Why would they want to build a new stadium um, when when they're struggling to put you know food in the mouths of their kids? in an economic time like right now. But at the same time, if that new stadium is going to be built, it's going to be built by private individuals for the most part. And ultimately, the people running those stadiums, the people who run the, have the chance of losing their jobs when that happens, those are, those are people that, uh, that are, are members of our fine organization and that the, the money and the, the revenues need to be made sure that, that it's in place to pay those people as well. All right. Well, you've heard both sides of that topic. We're going to talk now about another point of contention um, in these negotiations, which is the 18-game schedule. NFL owners would like the uh, season to be prolonged or or made a little bit longer, Um, and that means an 18-game schedule. Let's hear now from this point of view of the players, why do we not want an 18-game schedule? Bob? Well, what, what's been talked about is the A-team game schedule, uh, just so everyone knows, is not that, yes, it's 18 games and then four preseason games. They technically would be cutting out two preseason games and then adding two more games to the regular season, which, as, as we know, not only as, as possibly on a player side, but as a fan stance, how much do you do we actually pay attention to preseason? Okay, yeah, we, we watch maybe the, the first week, maybe the second week. Um, so them cutting that out might not be a big deal. But out of those four games, you see a, a lot of starters only playing a quarter, 
maybe a, a, an entire half. So they're not playing a full game. It might not be up to full speed. And what they're doing is they're cutting that out, which would probably tend to lead to the fact that not only are they playing an 18 game schedule, those two games in preseason are definitely going to be more important. So you might have those people playing more and more games. So that 18 game schedule might become a 20 game schedule in the eyes of the players, you know, and and that might not be right. So not only are you adding two games, you could possibly be adding four games to make sure that everything's up and and ready to go at at the beginning of the season. Obviously, there's there's a single and solitary goal when we're talking about the expansion to a possible eight-game season, and that's to replace the minuscule and minimal profits that come from preseason games where by the by the fourth week of the preseason most of a roster is set and there's very little left to be decided uh, we're replacing those with the more exciting brand of NFL football that is the regular season and by doing that we're we're bringing more money to the table and if the split ends up happening where where the NFL owners hope to see it closer to a 50-50 split of income, then you're talking about a higher 50% than what it was before. And I don't see how that hurts anybody. If, if, if there's a more income to be split up, then everybody ends up with more money in the end. Is it really more money? I, I know that there might be a bigger split if they go down to 50%, but you know, technically, bare bones, you're asking the players to play more games, and then you're also asking them to take a pay cut. You know, based on the distribution on on how they have the the, the fifty percent or if the fifty nine percent and them dropping it if if they do to come to some sort of compromise and just just basing on that, not with the potential of the the, the extra increase because we don't know if it will or or it won't. Would you work more and possibly take a pay cut? If it's if it's the dream that I've had as a child, I would do whatever it takes to continue doing it, even if that's something that hey. Years down the road, you're out of the league because you didn't make enough during the seasons that you did play. That you know you run into troubles, you run into anything, and you're not financially stable where you could have been if, if possibly. I, I I know we like to make fun of players talking about how we can't put food on the table with our millions and millions of dollars, but honestly, if you look at NFL players, they're longevity of their careers out of, out of all of the professional sports is the least. And most of their money is usually not guaranteed. So uh, if, if they are going to make an 18 game schedule, if they, if they are talking about a possibility of decrease overall pay, you're going to have to start guaranteeing more money for the, the players to be on board on this instead of having a lot of like a well, wage, uh, performance-based scales and, and the ability to automatically cut them and, and not have much of their money count or go to them. I think there's, I think there's concessions that could be made. We may, we may, in the effort to obtain a more fair salary split or revenue split, um, it, there may be concessions that we'd be willing to make as far as the guaranteeing of salary. And, and things like that, but we're not going to have 100% guaranteed salaries in the NFL because when you have players who have the risk of injury, at the end of the day, if if there's millions of dollars going out to pl- to, to players who are no longer able to perform 
down the football field, then we're also talking about a less of an opportunity for the players who have not had a chance yet and, and players who are looking to come up and make a name for themselves. And of course, the NFL is always in favor of, of making sure that people who need to be seen and are need to be on the spotlight get their chance. Oh, I, I, I have no problems with not being 100% guaranteed contracts. I, I like that about the NFL is that if something happens and someone gets injured, okay, yeah, you, you can move on financially and not be a, a burden and have a $100 million contract sitting on your books and you can't move that person and you have to eat, eat, eat that money. So I, I understand that. I understand that at, you know from an organization, organizational point, but it's... It, 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 it's tough to convince someone who's get, who's getting paid that to, to go out there and, and put a little bit more wear terror on their body and, and not guarantee them a little bit more more of the of the share. I'm not again not saying that it needs to be 100 percent guaranteed. Just just a little bit more of a kicker. We're not going to bring up the topic of a rookie wage scale and uh, bring us the point of view of NFL owners, Mr. Matt Smith. I don't think it's any secret that uh, NFL rookies come into the league with unprecedented dollar amounts attached to their names based on their their position that they are drafted it's it's gotten to a level where as a team that is potentially or i'm sorry perpetually uh, a, a lower tier team in the nfl it's really hard to build a franchise through the draft the way that uh, the way that you used to be able to there's a there's a crippling amount of money that's going out to untested and unproven players and it's not just the rookies i mean we talk about these contracts that are going three four five even six years into a player's career um you you might be looking at a player who in the case of a in the case of a quarterback who is sitting on the bench learning the trade for two seasons as the highest paid player on the team and i think that something definitely has to change in order to make the the salaries and the payments that are made out to players more equitable and and this this should be right in your guys in your guys wheelhouse make sure that the money that is being divvied up amongst the players in the nfl Let's get a bigger share for the people who have done something, who have proven something and shown something throughout their career other than just the potential to be good. No, that that last statement is is perfectly the way it needs to be set up if they are going to put a rookie wage scale in is that you turn around and use some of those monies that you are saving by having this wage scale and throwing it into the the veterans pool. Uh, The stuff that I've read online hasn't really been too sure that it would actually get and come back to those veterans that they're just looking to use the rookie wage scale just to chop off that salary in total so let's face it if we're cutting 18 percent out of the players budget wouldn't you rather it come out of the pockets of the people who haven't done anything than the guys who have oh no i i, I again i i have no problem with that i i personally I'm okay with the rookie wage scale. I think these enormous contracts for these players who may or not actually make it into the league is is kind of preposterous because you're you're getting that idea where it's kind of going into the baseball route where you're picking people based on signability, not the ability to actually help your franchise. Which that that starts getting into a lot dicier waters, and and I I personally would like a, a wage scale, but if they do put that in in place, please put some of it back to the veterans, the people who you know who are out there 
for five to ten years and, and, and throw it back, throw him a bone, just a little bit of a bone, if you are going to put that in place. I think we should also mention that the the salary wage scales that have been proposed in the bargaining and and the talks up to this point have actually gone beyond what's uh, what's outlined as far as a rookie wage scale as uh, in a similar fashion to what we see in the NBA where players are not only limited with the salaries they can achieve as a rookie in the league, but also if they're coming out of the three-year rookie contract, they become then a first-time eligible contract, which again gives them a lower percentage of the overall uh, of, of the overall payroll on their team that they're able to to obtain uh, obviously some details would have to be worked out with that because unlike the nba you said it yourself the 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 careers are significantly shorter but uh, ultimately the, the money has to go in in a way that makes sense as far as performance and production over an extended period of time yeah, and I, and I think that's the biggest thing is if they are going to have some sort of wage scale, I don't think it's going to be based on the longevity or the, the, the tenure of the guys. It's, it's going to be production-based. It has to be production-based because would you, would you rather be playing a 32-year-old right guard more money than a you know four-year quarterback who is definitely the face of your franchise? No, probably not. So I, I, I think it's going to have to be. There's going to be some sort of performance-based scale if they are going to not only implement the rookie, but have have a, a an entire scale in the contract negotiations. In rounding off the topics that we're going to talk about, obviously there are many different uh, considerations that go into the negotiations and uh, the talks that are going on now, but. Uh, we want to hear you guys your thoughts on the guaranteed TV income. Um, we're going to start off with Bob from the from the players' perspective, and let's just kind of um, set this or set the stage, I should say, for the guaranteed TV income. What is this basically saying? Um, I'm actually going to ask you, Matt, before you give your. Uh, your player's perspective, but what is, how does the guaranteed TV income work? Well, as, uh, as in all sports, the NFL has arranged agreements with the television networks that carry the product. There's contracts that are signed and there is, there's money that's, that's promised to the league over certain spans of time in order to compensate for the product that is being delivered. Um, and, and as, as you know, we saw in the ratings this year specifically, um, the the NFL delivers a product on television that is that is unparalleled by any other sport or any other or any other television product. Period. So the 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 money that's involved in these NFL TV contracts is a significant amount of money. Now the the specific issue that this is referring to the guaranteed TV income is referring to the. NFL NFL's election um, uh, a few years ago to opt for a lower payment structure from the networks in order to guarantee the money that is coming in from the television networks, as opposed to taking a higher sum of income from the television networks and potentially miss out on that income when games aren't played. Okay, so to put it in Dumb Bob's perspective, it's like the lump sum lottery payment versus getting it dispersed over several years. 
Um, similar, although in the theory, in the in the point that the NFL Players Union is making is that in this particular case, the the owners are asking for guaranteed money in case they you know decide that they don't want to opt in in the last year of the collective bargaining agreement and they're willing to deal with a, a lockout that may occur because in this particular scenario they would still be getting money from the networks whether the football games are played or not all right cool well let's hear it right from the horse's mouth and by horse i mean you bob williams you're the uh, NFL Players Association. How do you feel about this guaranteed TV revenue? Well, I like your reference to the lottery thing where uh, Matt actually gave a good idea on that. Usually, if you do take the payments, if something were to happen to you, the lottery gets to keep all that money, whatnot. Well, like you were saying, the the, uh, the owners sort of got that payment, except if something happens where as the NFL Deceit, it becomes deceased for the year, they still get that money. So they kind of loophole it really nice. Honestly, when you say that the NFL owners are going to be hurt during a lockout, I don't, I don't see it as much because of this guaranteed money that they're getting. And not only are they getting this guaranteed money, they're going to be having 50 to 55%, I think was the number, of an operating cost. So not only are they getting this guaranteed money, they're not having to pay out as much. So it sort of puts the uh, the pressure on the uh, players to go out there and maybe throw out a few concessions uh, to get a deal done, so they can get their their you know <laughs> change their their money out of this whole uh, negotiation. So I, I think it puts the the players in a tough situation and and Matt can probably say for the owners it's kind of a nice deal. Well, I won't go as far as to say that. Sure, it's nice that the money is still coming in even though the the games are potentially not going to be played, but at the same time the cutting of operational costs by 50-55% is not an ideal thing no matter how you look at it. Sure, the money is still coming in and sure that'll still allow us to cut some checks to some people who are doing work. But if there's no games being played on Sunday, our guys aren't doing the job. And unfortunately, if there's no work to be done, there's generally not any workers in the field. So I don't want to. I don't want to come off as this is, is is sounding like we're in favor of a lockout because of the fact that we do have a potential for uh, a considerably lower operational cost compared to the amount of income that's coming in. Because in the in the end we want all of our people to be happy because a, a, a good a good work environment is what ma- has made this NFL such a such a a great company and a, and a great organization over the years and we don't want to do anything to jeopardize that oh i'm not, i'm not saying that you are pro lockout but i'm just saying it's nice to to not be the one who would totally get the shaft if the lockout were to to happen uh I, <laughs> I think this pretty much comes to the point where, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, me arguing for the players or you arguing for the owners that in the best interest of both sides, they need to sit down, realize that the best thing is to put a product out every Sunday in the fall and winter or, you know, both sides won't be getting what they possibly could be getting if that season did play out. All right, so you've heard from the perspective of our NFL owners and also of our NFL Players Association. We thank you guys uh, very much. I 
personally, you know, rather than having to sift through these hundreds and thousands of articles and and point of views and perspectives out there, this actually gave me a lot of insight, and I'm, I was able to uh, to formulate my own opinions of how this is going down. Um, but we want to hear what you guys think. We want to hear: Do you believe? Do you side with the NFL Players Association, or do you side with the NFL owners? And maybe what other points would you bring up, and what other things uh, did we maybe not talk about that we might take into consideration here? We'd love to hear your feedback. Send us feedback uh, at feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call six four six thirty nine point six four six three nine seven six four six eight. Anything else, gentlemen, for this week? I think that about covers it, folks. Of course, I think it's fair to say that all of us, um, all of us uh, uh, here at Sports on Point, and everyone listening at home, we all sincerely hope that the NFL and players um, can can be as civil in their discussions and, and come to agreements, um, uh, you know, and, and and reach concessions in similar fashions to what uh, to what Bob and I just did. Uh, but I, I get the distinct feeling that the conversations in those locked rooms are not nearly as civil or courteous. So um, hopefully the guys can get it together over at the NFL because we certainly don't want to deal with an NFL or a football-free NFL season in 2011. I was going to say our show is going to be hard enough as it is without the NFL for the next several months. If it's even longer than that, we're going to have a real tough time coming up with some good show topics. Hey, we're going to have to move to NASCAR, to Tiger Woods spitting on the course, and then maybe even tennis and soccer. Uh, it'll be let's 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 be honest. It'll just be a lot more college football and college basketball. <laughs> probably, but I, I'm assuming we'd probably get some more interesting stories off of Twackle. Oh yeah. All right, gents. All right. This has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show. Go ahead, Matt. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you got a lot of good information from this week's podcast, and we'll be coming at you next week with a lot more useful and helpful information about other things going on in the world of sports. The dingo ate my baby. The dingo ate your baby? I don't know why I said that. I don't know why you say most of the things you say. <laughs> <laughs>